<laughs> Watch out for that first step, it's a doozy! Enjoy this free licensed polka because we don't have the budget to do a real theme song. I got you, babe. That's the name of our new show. <laughs> my name is Jake, and with me for the first time on this show is my wife, Sierra. Say hello. Hello. I'm very excited to be doing this. A lot of people may have followed us over from my other podcast, which is marginally <laughs> successful, which is Slasher's podcast. And if you're wondering how a guy who goes from blood and guts to blood sausage and marmots, well, this is because this movie is amazing. We are talking about Groundhog Day. I am very excited uh, because I enjoy the movie, but also because I never knew how much you enjoyed the movie. So watching it with you for the first time was very entertaining. <laughs> yeah, so for those keeping track on my other show, we had recently done Gremlins 2, The New Batch, which is probably my top five favorite films of all time. And this is right in that same range. <laughs> and I completely blitzkrieged you on this one. Yes. See, so I'm obsessed with this movie. There is enough in the presentation. It's just why I love horror movies. You know, we've talked about it a million times. What I love about horror is like the magic trick of it all. Figuring out how they did it. How did they conceptualize this? How did they do the latex there and that stuff? And this movie has so many layers that I could sit there and be like, I can dedicate an entire show like this to one movie. <laughs> yes. So I'm very excited about Let's this. Let's peel back those layers, honey. Let's do it. You can be Shrek and I'll be the donkey because I think I am the biggest ass. <laughs> now, how many times did you see this movie? Ballpark estimate. I think that I had only seen this movie completely through one time prior to what? watching it with you. Jesus. That makes me feel like I've wasted so much of my life. I think I have watched this movie easily 20 to 30 times. Easily, if not more. Like my favorite movie of all time is Monster Squad. I've watched that undoubtedly over a hundred times. Yes. But, you know, to get a third of the way there is pretty good. Yeah, that's impressive. I I would say that even my favorite movie, I've probably only watched like 50 times. Which is The Emperor's New Groove. Yes. Ah, fun, fun stuff. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the way I was able to sucker my wife into being on this show was by finding an unreleased documentary about <laughs> The Emperor's New Groove, which I'm louding over her in kind of a hostage situation. <laughs> Yes, I'm not allowed to watch it until we've done a whole season of the show. <laughs> that documentary, for those of you who are keeping track, is called The Sweat Box, which does not sound like it has anything to do with llamas, but I guess it does. <laughs> I'm excited. Who gives a damn about llamas? We're talking about groundhogs. That's right. Do you care about the Groundhog Day holiday? In general, it's like a passing thing. Usually I'm reminded of it because the librarian on my campus does like a email blast on every year <laughs> oh, on what oh, the results are. That's amazing, first off. But I feel like your librarian might have done you a disservice in not educating you, edifying you, if you will, about the religious origins of the Groundhog Day holiday. Do you know anything about that? No. Okay. I literally just know what the results are. And she reminds me of the Groundhog's name every year. Punxsutawney Phil. Yes. So good. That is it. <laughs> How do you think you spell Punxsutawney? Is it Punxsutawney or Punxsutawney? Tawny. Like Punxsutawney Katane dancing on a white snake <laughs> right. hood of a car. Okay. I just want to make sure. How do you think you spell it? Do you want me to use it in a sentence? P-H. No. P. No. <laughs> P-H-P. Who spells a name? No, you just said I no. 
<laughs> I'll start on the offense. P-U-N-X. So like totally punk. Like, mm. ooh, got my Liberty Spikes and my plaid pants on. And uh, it's P-U-N-X-S-A-T-A-W-N-E-Y. And its religious origins come from the Feast of Candlemas. But I'm not going to get into that. We don't have enough time. Maybe on a future episode, I can <laughs> edify you as your librarian should have done. And I have to ask you, do you give a damn about the tagline of this film? Because there are two which are wildly different, yet basically mean the same thing. I'm interested. So the first, he's having the day of his life over and over again. Okay. Then there's, he's having the worst day of his life over and over again. It's all in the inflection, because if you say the first one with a little bit of sass, it means the second one, or it means the exact converse. What do you think? I like the first one only because I feel like the second one kind of gives away too much. Like, if you've never seen the film, I don't know. I think it puts more of like a dour note on this film, which I don't think it is. I think it's a comedy, you know. Yeah albeit a little dark at times, but overall I would say it's uplifting. I completely and agree. funny. Yeah, like, well, this is a movie where even when it's not making you laugh, it's still instilling something, right? Right, right. It's either enjoyable for where is this going or mm-hmm. does I think riddle or why did they construct it this way? And so I, I agree with you. I like the first one better because if you read it with the right inflection, it's the same sentence, but it means something entirely different, right? And that's basically what happens to Phil Connors Boom. I'm getting meta. I've thought about this movie a whole goddamn hell of a lot. Now, we've talked about this. One of the first things you asked me in this movie is how long does Phil spend in Punxsutawney on February 2nd? And there are some estimates that say 30 to 40 years. And there, in the original screenplay, it said 80 years. Now, do you do you care how long he's there? Does it really like inform your opinion of the movie or is it just kind of a fun thing to think about? No, I think I think it's just a fun thing to think about because in the movie, I don't think it really matters. There's I mean, there's a passing of time just because you see obviously him going day and day reliving the same thing. So I don't think it's necessary. I just think it's fun. Well, it's also everybody's different proclivities, right? Right. There are some people who will lose their patience immediately. There are some people who, you know, you go to Abed from Community, he'll just sit there. Right. And he'll live the same life. And oh, well, did you know that the makers of this film almost got sued by one science fiction writer based on what he thought was thought theft? For his story? Short story. Good thing you asked. So you had Richard A. Lupoff, who wrote 12.01 p.m., which was published in a magazine. And actually, weirdly, he ended up doing two sequels to it in 2011 and 2012, respectively. Interesting. After the original came out 30 plus years before, but that's neither here nor there. Mm -hmm. So what's really interesting, so you will know this actor as Red Foreman. I will know him as Clarence Bodiger. We have Kurtwood Smith. You remember? Yes. Yeah, jackass. Yes. So that guy plays this dude in a short that won an Academy Award in 1990. It is basically telling the story of a guy who is trapped between the hour of 11 a.m. and 12.01. Or wait, might be 12.01 and 1. Yeah, it's 12.01 and 1 p.m. And he lives the same lunch over and over and over again. But he goes crazy to the point of shooting himself in the head when he acknowledges it's been about 30 to 40 times. 
which is one of the things I find so fascinating because I see people get entrenched on Groundhog Day like, oh, no, it's definitively this because it takes you 10,000 hours of mastery. Bleh, bleh, bleh. Yeah. And here's a dude 30 times and he's like, I'm, I'm done. I can't do it. It must have been a terrible lunch. Honestly, he doesn't seem Business that upset. Business lunch, by. probably. No, he's like in a park and a fat guy gets shit on. It's really weird. Oh. But then, so here's where things get a little bit weirder. He's in 1993. They did a full length version for Fox. They <laughs> extrapolated on it. And in that version, they expanded it from an hour to a full day. Mm. And so this is where they're like, come on, guys. You just stole this idea. But then if you go further back, you have other stuff. So then there was another book called Replay by Ken Grimwood that came out in January of 1986 that basically deals with the same kind of thing. A 43-year-old man dies and wakes up in 1963 in his 18-year-old body. And he's able to be like, if if I knew what I know now when I was 18. <laughs> That's how that song goes, right? Sure. All right. So the idea is not entirely clean you also had the gay science which was by frederick nietzsche he described it as the most personal of all of his books and basically it proffered what if someday or night a demon were to steal you away into your loneliest loneliness and say to you this life as you live it and have lived it you will have to live once more and innumerable times would you not throw yourself down and gnash your teeth and curse the demon who spoke thus? Or have you once experienced a tremendous moment when you would have answered him, you are a god and never have I heard anything more divine? Right. Well, and that's kind of what Phil from the movie has that moment of reflecting like, why couldn't it have been this day, this day that I spend on the beach having cocktails, meeting nice, you know, pretty women. Why couldn't it have been that day? Why did it have to be this day where I am watching a groundhog decide the weather for the next couple of weeks? And one of the things that I think a lot of people, I don't know, it's they did a conscious effort, Ramus and everybody and company, if you will, in production of trying to make it timeless by leaving certain technological elements of it out. This right. is 93. So you right, don't right. have the World Wide Web that's hopping and bopping today. <laughs> you have like the World Wide Web at like the Heaven's Gate website where everything looks garish. <laughs> and so if you could relive the same day and you had the internet, basically that's like most people's days. <laughs> right. So, so the fact that he has to go out and is compelled to do these things I think is really impressive. It, it's also cool because it's almost like you know, this this bubble, you know, he's in the Krampus's snow globe or, mm. you know, whatever you want at that self-contained, like he can't go anywhere. Right. right. He's literally landlocked because right. of the blizzard. And so it's it's very interesting to have to confront this. You know, it's a great plot device. But uh, let's move on, shall we? We shall. <laughs> so this movie was shot on a budget of $14.6 million. Now, some of the numbers out there will say $30 million, and I have no idea why. They fluctuate wildly, but that's one of the unfortunate things about film history is sometimes in distributing films, you will say things cost different things to negotiate different deals, which hmm. your Herschel Gordon Lewis's, for example, were famous for doing that. But the movie made $70.9 million. Oh, wow. So either way, did great. Domestically, $70,906,973. Internationally, this is going to blow your mind. A whopping $14,834. Whoa. <laughs> That's so interesting. And when did you say it came out again? February 12th, 1993. 93. Yeah, I don't know. 
What do you think compelled people to see this movie? Like, what do you think it made like made it successful? So the only thing that was really its competition that weekend was The Temp, mm. which was directed by Tom Holland, who you might know he wrote and directed Child's Play. Mm. He did the story for Friday Night. Right, right. So that's not a whole lot going competition, on. competition, yeah. Yeah. And so I think that had a certain degree of it. But also Bill Murray drew numbers. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you have to remember, this is not just Murray. This is Murray and Ramis, which is stripes which is ghostbusters mm. so okay that makes sense a little bit more i don't know like thinking about it obviously i've only seen this movie one time before so it's not a movie that like draws my attention immediately so i was just curious to see what you felt i don't think this is a great theater movie it, mm. it's it's a decent theater movie like if you're going during the day because i right, like right. the idea of like it's kind of a romantic idea to like leave the theater and hold hands and walk in the sun <laughs> i like to just get, go home and then like just be <laughs> fat on the couch just doesn't seem good right as a vhs like i wore the hell out of this movie but that kind of leads me to my next question what do you think of the runtime 101 minutes of what I would call bliss, but I think a lot of people would be like, eh, it gets a little tenuous in the middle. I think so. I think it drags a little bit for me. Yeah. <laughs> Hence me falling asleep twice, but... Oh, she admitted it. I was going to be nice and not mention it. We had to watch <laughs> this over That's also the because we have a baby that keeps us up all night. And so. a toddler that yeah. when the baby goes down, then wakes up and is like, hey guys, now that lame baby's asleep, let's party. <laughs> Pretty much. So it's not the fault of the movie. Yeah. Normally I say 90 minutes or less. I don't have patience for movies over 90 minutes. One thing I think is redeeming. Obviously, I I love this movie, right? Mm -hmm. You can tell. But I like the fact that it's vignette style. Right. Where like I think that even the YouTube generation can watch this comfortably. The problem is I think that when you get distracted like with a cell phone or other obligations and you're not focusing on these things, it gets like it blurs together. Right. Right. It's like painting with watercolors versus you know, you could use your acrylics if you're focused and you can see that, you know, the juxtaposition of this where it is very, you know, severe. You have a guy who's going to commit suicide with two doofuses. And then you have another scene later on where he tries to commit suicide and another one, but they're all entirely different scenes. They all basically evoke very different things, but the mechanisms the same. So without that inherent focus, I don't think you get to enjoy those as much. I would agree. And like you were saying, it can get a little laggy in the middle just because there are multiple scenarios where he tries to commit suicide or, you know multiple scenarios where he tries to win over a lady and you know it's like yeah maybe those could have been cut out but then it wouldn't have felt like this everlasting the redundancy helps that redo yeah so yeah that fatigue almost informs you as an audience member yeah so it kind of reminds me of the book eleven twenty two sixty three by stephen king where he goes back so many times, people kind of start having this like tiny recollection. And it almost seems like that at some points where she's like, doesn't this, the actress, the other main character has like deja vu where she's like, and this seems so familiar to me. And so it kind of, do you feel like she actually is starting to remember because they've lived it so many times or do you think that it's just happenstance that she has that deja vu moment 
So this is what I'll say about one Stephen King. I'm obviously very well versed in him with my stupid other podcast where all of my top rated episodes are his movies. So mm. I fixate on him quite a bit now. 112263 came out in November of 2011. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing that drives me crazy. It is Groundhog Day. Right. It, it is the exact same thing. Now, it's not a bad thing. I don't mind it. But it's one of those things where I fixated on this and I had to dissect it way more than I think I did a lot of other King works. And what's great about it is it is not explained. Why is the time portal in a meat freezer? Is it a time portal? <laughs> right. Like, this temporal, it's so interesting and it's not explained. And so often things get explained to death modernly. Mm. You and I had talked about in watching Groundhog Day, like, why does it happen? Right. And we'll get into that. Don't worry. And if we don't get into this episode, we'll get it onto a thousand future episodes. But the point is, I love the fact that it's not explained. And I love that there you don't know. It's an inclination that it might be. It's an inclination they might be on to him. Or they might have figured it out. Or they might have unraveled it. Or people are creating these constructive rules, right? You know, like you have Rita who's like, oh, I thought it was going to be at 12 midnight. He's like, I never said that. Yeah. He's like interesting ideas that people have that are impressed upon this situation that is alien. And that's why we're watching this moment in time. So to answer your question, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very long explanation for that answer but thank you well that's the point i like that i don't know right because it becomes trite if it's otherwise so we'll get into why this happens to phil connors now in one of the original drafts it was going to be that he had an ex-girlfriend stephanie who had a gypsy put a curse on him (laughs) you asked me if it was getting hit in the head is at one point in like the first day that we see he is in a store and gets hit in the head by a lady with a shovel, a snow shovel. And so I just assumed that was why. And what's crazy, I've seen this movie, like I said, 30 plus times that had never occurred to me. Really? Never once. Because I always feel like it's like that moment in a lot of movies where they get in a car accident or get hit in the head or I don't know, something, you know, head trauma. Speaking of car accidents, I know that you saw Doctor Strange because you saw it with me. And did you see that the date on his fancy watch that I could never afford says February 2nd before he gets in this car accident? No. Thus alluding to the end when he's like, Dormammu, I come to make a bargain. The one that I hated because I was like, I'd rather just watch Groundhog Day. This movie's (laughs) stupid. I did not. And for the record, no, I have not seen the Tom Cruise movie, which is Groundhog Day versus Aliens. The live, die, repeat or whatever. I'm not going to see it. I would just dedicate that time to watching Groundhog Day again. (laughs) Didn't yeah. even know that movie existed. People have recommended it to me a lot because a lot of people know how much I love this movie. And it's like, here's the thing. <laughs> I am not a gambling man. And I don't have a lot of free time. So why am I going to gamble with my precious life that I'll never get back that I'm going Watching to like something, something right. when I can guaranteed play with house money and enjoy my movie <laughs> at, at least an eight. So there you go. Directed by Harold Ramis. Now, Harold Ramis, amazing career. So he wrote Animal House, Meatballs, Caddyshack, Stripes, Ghostbusters. Well, he and Dan Aykroyd wrote it, but Ghostbusters 2, Caddyshack 2. He directed Multiplicity, which is amazing. You might recall Michael Keaton clones himself, then it's clone clones himself, and then you get... You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Okay. But he had a great career. It's very sad that he passed away. And this is one of the movies I associate with him most, mm. which is interesting because Egon is my favorite Ghostbuster. <laughs> and I don't know why, but for some reason, I think of this movie with him, even though he has relatively no screen time. You might recall he's the neurologist. Interesting. 
And so he helped rewrite the film. The film was written by Danny Rubin. This guy is reading the vampire Lestat while waiting for a movie like that is so nice. That's what dates this movie the most. Like I would (laughs) never take a fucking book anywhere, much less to a movie theater. But I digress. He's sitting there and he's thinking about like what somebody could do with the redundancy of life, basically, you know, living ad nauseum in perpetuity and so forth. And then when he started writing the idea, he just picked the next closest holiday, which is Groundhog Day, complete happenstance. But to me, I'm like, that makes the most sense. The idea of repetition with a holiday, which denotes repetition, either you have spring or you have winter again. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, two at twofold right every year we have the same holiday but also a seasonal repetition exactly and in the mundane elements of it but also the thrilling element of it like because it is a gamble every day that he goes to sleep he gambles that he's going to wake up because here's the thing he could wake up on one of the mornings where he stole the the loot from the keystone cops (laughs) and then he could be stuck in prison right right but he's not so every day he's gambling basically that he's not going to end up in jail or dead yeah which is amazing. Now, when Ramis is first reading this film, he kind of had some commercial failures. So he's kind of playing it close to the vest. He's like, this isn't funny, but it could be funny. Mm. So Ramis wanted it to be a lot more of a straight comedy. And there's a lot of friction between him and Ruben. But ultimately, I think they really fleshed out a great script. And what's interesting is that friction between those two is mirrored with Ramis and Murray. Allegedly, Murray's going through a divorce at this time. He's starting to be spiteful because people are saying, well, hey, you're only famous because of Stripes and Ghostbusters. And that's him. That's Ramus's doing. You're just the guy in it. You're mm-hmm. not the, the creative mind behind it. Interesting. So Murray's being egocentric and introspective and going through these you know, emotionally tumultuous things. And so he wants to explore the character, get into the craft. And Ramus is like, just no. be funny. <laughs> You, we hired you to be funny, not to be Charlton Heston. <laughs> so, do you like the dynamic? Like, because Murray is very interesting in this movie because he's constantly within and without. He's, you know, there are moments of deep reflection where he's a good actor. There are right. moments of flippancy. What do you think? Now that you said that, I could kind of see like that element of trying to be more than just a comedic actor like a lot of actors that go from comedy to like trying to do serious roles like bill murray yeah Yeah. exactly (laughs) he became a trope doing this yeah it doesn't always work but i think in this case it does he doesn't go overboard with trying to be like introspective i think that he still takes a little bit of comedy even in his seriousness. One example is when he is having the snowball fight and, you know, that he maniacal. Right. Yeah. Right. So he goes from just like, ah, ha ha. This is so fun to like kind of overboard doing it. Like, but as you see him living the same day over and over again, kind of, you see him getting more and more, maniacal like you said in his interactions with the kids that are throwing snowballs at at him so it's interesting have you ever indulged yourself in the kubler ross model of the five stages of grief no so they actually use this in constructing the film Hmm. so the elements are denial anger bargaining depression acceptance 
And that works really well when you analyze it to the movie or when yeah. you analogize it, whatever. But, you know, you have especially grief. You know, you have a whole thing with him and the homeless man. Right. You have anger where he's getting frustrated. and He's being this little petulant child, yep. just being rude to people. And then you have it where he's just depressed and literally trying to kill himself. Yep. And then finally, it's acceptance. And so you had asked me what it was that I thought relieved him of this curse. And one of the things that I've talked to people about, because I talk about this movie till I'm blue in the damn face, a lot of people think that it's just because he and Rita get together. Mm. No, this is not his best with Rita. His best with Rita is when she stays with him overnight. That's when she you know, is gushing over him and fawning over him, and she's got this emotional capacity towards him. In the version that gets him through, it's when he's the best himself to everyone. Yes. That's the day where he ties in every single thing together and then it goes through. And I think that is probably the coolest thing in terms of like Buddhism and whatnot, which is another thing in reincarnation that Ramus talked about in constructing the script. Yeah. When you put it that way, I think when I was analyzing why and asking myself kind of like why did it end? You know, why why did he finally get to go to February 3rd? I think that I kind of simply put it with like, oh, they fell in love. Uh-huh. That's what broke the spell, you know, and maybe that's just me watching too many Disney movies or, you know. Well, if you go knows? to the original, I mean, if it's a gypsy woman putting a curse on him from his ex-girlfriend, you'd imagine that true love's kiss. Something a la Beauty like and the that. Beast, yeah. Right. But I, I really do like what you were saying, reflecting on how he changed as a person for the better, because he was a shit at the beginning of the yeah. movie, to just somebody that was caring and lived life to the fullest and would actually be a good partner. Yeah. Because I think before he would have been terrible in a relationship. So it was a combination of all of the things that he had learned, not only about himself, but how to treat others and yeah. One of the things I like best about the ending is that you get into it and you have no idea how many times he's relived that day mm, that way. Mm. You know, because you go through the earlier ones with Rita slapping him over and over again. <laughs> so you have that immediacy. You have the, the context. Oh, again, this didn't work. Again, this didn't work. He's trying to perfect it. Whereas this. <laughs> it only got worse. Yeah. But yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's one of the things. It's like as you delve into that manic, frenetic, I have to do this compulsive attitude, the desperation leaks mm. through. And by this point, he basically has God tier powers, right? He's he's omniscient, he is omnipotent, and he's invulnerable. And yet he's doing these things when arguably these people A don't matter to him. Right. And B, there's even a question if they exist when you want to get like quantum mechanics and stuff, right? But he's doing the right thing for the right thing's sake. And that I think is like the best that you can be, right? Because there's lots of doctrine when it comes to Buddhism, which is like being good to go to heaven is not being good. Mm. You're being self-serving. Right. Whereas in this, there is no consequence because he's going to wake up the next day and those ladies, old ladies are still going to have a flat tire and that kid's still going to break his leg and that old man's still going to die. But at least he's done everything that he can. And that's one of the things I like about the development because at, you know, first you have him doing the same thing over and over again with Rita for his own gain, and then he's doing it over and over again to try and help this guy right after he's talked about being a god and he realizes that he doesn't have power. Mm. Just kind of a curse. Yeah. Which kind of goes back to Kurtwood Smith shooting himself in the friggin' dome. Right. But in that, they explain it with science. Our world, antimatter world, they call it a time bounce. 
time bounce sounds a little juvenile. <laughs> you know what I mean? I like the unknown because you it lets you read into it what you want or yeah. what where you are in your own life. I'm sure that you probably have thought about this movie differently as you have developed oh, yeah. over time at yourself, you know. And another great point about it just ending and you being able to kind of pick it up and go with your imagination. Is he going to be stuck for 80 years in February 3rd? <laughs> is he going to forget these things? Yeah. You know, the fact is, is that life well lived. You you can cherish every memory that you can, but you'll lose it. So he contained 80 years potentially of memories in one day. You think that he's going to be able to play piano that well in 20 years unless he's like, those are those kind of fun questions. Well, and I like that when he realizes and he wakes up and, he, you know, he's going about the next day, he tells Rita, like, let's live here, you know, because I think that he grew to love everything about that place, the place that he hated and didn't want to go and was trying to escape desperately and then came to love everything about it. And hopefully by staying there, you know, he will continue what he learned because I would I could see if you go back to it the city very different lifestyle very different pace it would be very easy to over time lose a lot of those life lessons I guess absolutely and I think that it goes in echoes or mirrors or whatever the stages of grief he accepts it mm-hmm. he's not he doesn't have this compulsion to leave or anything or justify or vindicate or anything he's just accepting being there even to a point where I don't know if you even remember it because so much happens, but you know he's being scouted to go to a major network as the weatherman. I'm your weatherman. Uh, but in saying that to Rita, impliedly he's saying, I don't care about that job. I care right. about here and now and you. Mm-hmm. Is that romantic? Yeah. I never knew like if he was being sarcastic about, oh yeah, I'm being scouted or if he was just being an ass. A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. <laughs> So I guess I have to do this. Unfortunately, I have to do this. We skipped around. We went to the end. So I guess I'll talk about Groundhog Day, like father, like son, the September 17th, 2019 video game made by Tequila Works and distributed by Sony Pictures Virtual Reality, (laughs) where you play as Phil Connor's son, again in Punxsutawney, and you just keep fucking around until you get through the day. And when was this released? 2019? Is that what you said? Yes. No. Yes. Wow. Apparently, it's very well received. I watched some footage of it and I was like, this is nightmare fuel. But obviously, <laughs> I'm watching it on YouTube. I'm not watching it through like a VR set. So everything just seems awful and weird yeah. and gross and I hate it. So do you think that needed to happen? Absolutely not. But, you know. Thank God. <laughs> I was really worried I'd have to buy a VR headset and let you try this out. Oh, no. It definitely seems like your jams. <laughs> oh, coming from the girl that has literally played like one video game her entire life. Two. You played Kirby's Pinball oh, and no, Crash that's Bandicoot. True, that's true. Both of which I've tried to dramatically reintroduce into your life. And you played <laughs> maybe for five minutes. Oh, and. Because I have too many things three, to do now. Three. Because I also got you the Emperor's New Groove game. <laughs> and you were like, oh, neat. This is annoying. Yes. I remember you getting very upset by the camera. (laughs) 
as if I was the one who programmed it. But let's talk about the character, shall we? Specifically, the character who's not Phil's son in the video game that came out umpteenth years. What later. was the kid's name? Didn't say the name. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Phil Junior. <laughs> I had a certain sense of jamais vu in what I was expecting when I saw this, where I was like, oh, this is everything I expected it to be, and I still don't need it. Uh, yeah. It just, However many years removed. Like, maybe if it had come out a few years later, maybe five. Yeah. Obviously, VR would be a little bit worse, but I'm okay with that. For those of you who followed us from my horror podcast, I would describe this video game as I did the movie The Human Centipede, <laughs> which is it's like the letter S in the word island. It's there, but I don't know why. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the characters, Bill Murray is Phil Connors. Do we love him? Is there anybody else who you'd like to cast in that role? What do you think? Bill Murray. Hmm. I hadn't thought about a different actor. I think he played it well. Hmm. Now I'm trying to think of who, who else I could imagine playing the that role. Funny enough, one that I would really like would be Richard Dreyfus, who was his foil in What About Bob? <laughs> but I feel like he doesn't have enough charm at the end. Like he would do the upsetness well, but not anything else. Maybe like Steve Martin, comedic, same time like era maybe a little bit later i mean his hair would be white at this point but it doesn't really matter yeah i don't know he i think he could do it only if we replace the piano or the keyboard i guess with banjo because i don't know if you remember but i really love <laughs> steve martin and the Steve canyon rangers and yeah his musical endeavors are delightful but i would i would very much agree with you that'd be a great movie you know who I would probably scout myself over if I ever saw a parallel universe where this happened? Chevy Chase. The, mm. the exact wrong amount of smarmy for me. Mm. He would literally make me have hives, I think. <laughs> Interesting. I, I mean, what could be? What could have been? But I think that Bill pay, played it well. Yeah. It, one of the things that's really frustrating too, I guess, something that always grinds my gears when it comes to imdb and everything it's like oh well this person was in talks to do this movie uh-huh yeah and according to whom was this published like so a lot of times i think it's just people trying to get imaginary internet points <laughs> this movie is rife with them so yeah. i asked that question and i've thought about it flippantly throughout the years but honestly it's one of those things if you ask me at six in the morning versus six in the evening i'd have completely different answers so let's move on andy mcdowell as rita hansen she's their mom no 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 she's absolutely not but I oh my god <laughs> I was like, you were kidding me <laughs> so she has aged miraculously and bill murray has aged miraculously mm. Mm. you can play a zombie without makeup mm. bill murray <laughs> uh, what do you think about her her like slight southern drawl kind of thing she likes boats but not the ocean Oh, that whole thing was ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I could hear your eyes rolling over in your head. <laughs> Made me worried they were. That, that was her describing her perfect man. And I was like, oh, good Lord. I mean, he played it perfectly. He's like, does this man exist? Is, yeah. it, is it a man? Is it a man? Yeah. Because anyway, she's wonderful. I think that she is not your like typical like beauty like, oh, like conventionally interactive? Yeah. I don't know. Is that what? I don't want to say it. I can't say it as a man. I'm in trouble. <laughs> so you could just say it. 
<laughs> what did you say? Conventional. Well, no, she's conventionally dressed. She's not like a bombshell. Okay. I wouldn't say that she's like this bombshell actress that, you know, is eye-catching. Right. Yeah. But I, she is beautiful and attractive both inside and out, I guess, because she has this caring personality where she, you see her caring for other people, asking questions about others, and she might be a little naive. Uh, Can I say something that might make your eyes roll again? No, goodness. You very much remind me of this character. (laughs) You put the two of us together and it's like, wait a second. (laughs) I am very much more like the Bill Murray in this situation. You know, you're more conventional. Mm. You're obviously much nicer person than I am. <laughs> you, you have a very resolute demeanor. And I think that's one of the things that makes her really attractive. Mm. Isn't so much her looks, it's her poise and the way that she right. carries herself. And, you know, she has moxie. She has gumption. She's not like some wilting lily who's just like, oh, me. And so I really like her in this role. I think that she does a fantastic job. And there's a lot of subtlety in her character, which is great because you could imagine the redundancy of doing the same thing over and over again would be with a lesser actress. Just like, oh, my God, I swear if I have to hear her say that sentence again, I'm going to punch myself in the dick. So we keep her. Yes. No recasting. Chris Elliott as Larry the the cameraman, not the cable guy. (laughs) But if we're talking recasting, Larry the cable guy would be pretty good. I mean, to me, anyone could have played that role. I don't know. Yeah. It just is. I don't know. I like Chris Elliott, so he can stay. You know, I, I really love that. He was a really, really great guy. I really liked him a lot. And he does like the yeah, to cover him up when he's dead. <laughs> you know, and, and especially like when he's being auctioned. There are, are moments that are redeeming. But, but that's what I'm saying. Like anyone could have played that role. Well, Zac Efron probably wasn't even born yet. So maybe not anyone could play the role. But I get what you're saying. <laughs> oh she wants to punch me folks uh, let's move on my favorite character let's. in this movie my literally favorite character in this movie that I will watch the entire movie just for his moments Steven Toblowski Steven, Steven Tobolowski Steven Tobolowski Ned Ned the head <laughs> Ryerson this is where you realize that you were in for a doozy because yes. I was relatively like I was doing well. I had quoted a few lines, but nothing crazy. But I did both sides, both Murray and Tabalawowskili, and did their inflections. And you looked over on the couch and you're like, no, God damn it. I just suffered through one of your favorite movies. I can't do this again. In fact, I shan't do this again. And then you immediately fell asleep. <laughs> I. <laughs> I would have to agree with you. I loved, <laughs> loved, loved him and would watch this movie just for those scenes again. If I could get a tattoo of a gif, it would be him <laughs> taking his hat off. <laughs> it's so good. And he's so annoying and he's so endearing and he's so like, what, like the homophobia is the funniest shit when he like tucks his neck like he's Dana Carvey doing the turtle turtle thing from Master of Disguise and he runs off awkwardly like he's Hugh Grant in that movie with the La Treasuria where he runs funny. <laughs> I tried to bring it to you. That's a chick flick. Do you know what I'm talking <laughs> no. about? God damn it. James Cairns in it was The La Treasuria. So then at the end they make the joke the the end. Mickey Blue Eyes? Is that what that is? No idea. Yeah, it's Mickey Blue Eyes. Never God seen it. damn it. 
And for again, bringing it back to the horror fans, <laughs> James Can was in Misery. You might remember him. I the, do. Th- the cranky dad from Elf. Oh, yes. But I do know Misery. It, Dirty Birdie? Yes. Yeah, dude. Why the fuck are we watching that right now? Oh, I guess I should probably have not been so blue in this episode because it's definitely a different demographic. So if you're five years old and listening to this, you should probably have a better hobby than podcasts. Let's move on. Brian Doyle Murray as Buster Green, the guy who chokes and is like the mayor with the, the top hat. Mm. I love his voice. I, I just want every like fantasy RPG I play. If there's a wizard, it's Brian <laughs> Doyle Murray. <laughs> oh, my gosh, babe. I can already tell you have very strong attachments to all of these characters that I, I am just like, who? Oh, yeah. OK, I do. And I think it's the repetition of it in terms of the movie. They all get to shine to a certain degree. And then also upon multiple viewings, you get to appreciate it again. So it's like multiplication rather than addition. Yeah. So I don't really care about the other actors. There's so many of them. Michael (laughs) Shannon's in this movie. And I was like, that's Michael Shannon. You're like, who? And I showed you a picture. You're like, oh, my God. Uh, So there's tons of stuff. If you want to look into it, you know, we're going to have several episodes to dedicate to just the characters. So we'll circle back around. We'll put a pin in it. Okay. Sounds great. So in terms of the music in this movie, what do you think? The the weatherman and like not just like the orchestral score, but also the soundtrack where they picked music that already existed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think you are immediately immersed into the music of this movie oh yeah in an amazing way it is very 90s yet somehow still no blues traveler which was in like every 90s movie <laughs> it had to be standout it's crazy another bill murray classic with blues traveler kingpin <laughs> have you seen that movie no it's a delightful movie <laughs> super good woody harrelson i do enjoy a good woody Hey, that's how we ended up with these two goddamn kids. Zing, woo, woo, woo. But yeah, I I really love the music too. It it, it is a very abrupt. Yes, it is. As soon as it starts. Oh yeah. You're like, wow. Holy shit. (laughs) Who turned on Seinfeld? (laughs) Uh, But then, like, I love the music that they picked for the soundtrack. Like, I love the ending. Like that. The goddamn when he's the. It's almost like being it's so beautiful and like fun. And if you get it kind of makes me sad that not that more movies don't have these like bombastic scores. Yeah. And soundtracks and the cleverness of it, because if you go through, you can compare where he is with Rita Mm. to the music that plays Mm -hmm. before they finally end up in love. And, you know, you you can get that in a Tarantino, but you're not going to get that in a big fat liar with one brain damaged Frankie Munoz. <laughs> I'm not making fun of him. It's just the only trivia I know about the kid because he hasn't had a career in 20 years. Well, man. It's sad. And I've like obsessed over it on Reddit for a while. But uh, it, does it remind you of anything? Is it something that, that this music is something that you, if if I made this a Spotify playlist, how often a year do you pop this on? I don't even know. Actually, you know what? I did today actually asked Spotify to play 90s hits. I'm not even kidding you. Maybe because we watched this movie and I was just feeling nostalgic. (laughs) I have no idea. But yeah, clearly it was in my brain. I dig it. I'm into it. I'm happy to hear that. I'm glad I'm not the only person whose brain 
it gets broken and just plays the same thing over and over again. Now, on the topic of music, did you know that there's a musical of Groundhog Day? No. You can see a community theater rendition on YouTube. It is entirely too long. Mm-hmm. It is not very well filmed, but I listened to a bunch of it. You can also just find the soundtrack. Probably should just do that. But it was written by Matthew Warkus and Tim Minchin. They approached Danny Rubin. And we're so like, that's my new goal is to see the Groundhog Day musical. Do it. I dare you. I double dare you. Well, you're going to have to go with me. So, hey, you took me to see Spam a lot. So I'm happy to do this. I mean, don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, Danny Rubin had some kind of loophole in his contract with Columbia where basically like musical rights were up for grabs. So he basically like owns most of the musical <laughs> he had contributed to because he apparently had worked on it at other points as well. Super fascinating to me. The fact well, that he, I'm sure he's making a lot of money from this. Not. <laughs> yeah. In my day job, I'm an attorney. And so I think of like, is this common sense to most people? And I guess in like 93, can you think of any movie that had like a musical adaptation that wasn't adapted from a musical? So kind of makes sense. It kind of became trendy for a while to do musicals. Like Carrie has a musical, for instance. Right. So I know I was trying to think. I listened to another podcast about a musical about another movie and I just slipping my mind right now. So you can cut that out because it doesn't matter. <laughs> Not only did Jake not cut that out in editing, he programmed this robot to highlight that Sierra listened to another podcast she could not remember. Which reminds me, don't forget to subscribe to this show. Nudge nudge. So, if you need some evidence as to the credentials of Minchin and Marcus, they had done Matilda the Musical. Which you know what books are. Eh, seems mm-hmm. like your kind of thing too, right? Mm-hmm. And there's also an Italian film. Did you know that? An Italian Groundhog's Day? Yes. I tried to find it online and I couldn't find it with subtitles. And I honestly have no freaking idea how to pronounce it. But it's translated to It's Already Yesterday. It's also known as Stork Day. Stork Day? Dude, I don't know. So what's a backwards accent mark? A tilde? No, I'm saying like, so it's E with the backwards one. G-I-A with the backwards one over the A. I-E-R-I. I don't know. There's two consonants in a sentence? That's a language that's cursed. (laughs) No wonder Latin died. I'm curious to see. It's not just like a remake of this one. It was its own. Well, no, Danny uh, Rubin has a a writing credit. It's kind of like how we did uh, the dinner for schmucks or whatever, or the birdcage stealing from the French, Mm. but the Italian stole from us for some weird reason. Interesting. Well, it's not a weird reason. I mean, obviously, the movie is delightful. Otherwise, we wouldn't have dedicated an entire <laughs> podcast to it. But you know what I mean? If you have a Blu-ray rip that you torrented from some weird Italian website, you can send it to I got you made pod at gmail.com. I'll watch it. Please I'll do. I'll it. watch it. You, will you stay awake? I, there are no promises, especially if there's no subtitles. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm sorry. What? <laughs> I've only seen one Italian film that made me cry every time I've seen it. It's the only movie that's ever made me cry, funny enough. Life is Beautiful. Roberto Benigni. Buongiorno mm-hmm. Principessa. Can you spell Buongiorno? It's as hard to spell as Puxitani. No. Yeah. Don't try. <laughs> I clearly screwed that up the yeah. first time, so I'm not even going to attempt this. Does it surprise you to know that in 2006, this film was entered into the United States National Film Registry? Interesting. 
I don't even know what that is. So basically, it's just for great films. It's like the Criterion Collection for our nation. Huh. And is there like a list? Can you see the films that are on there? Oh, yeah. Oh. Shall I pull up How some? many are there? Oh, yeah. It's only 775 films. And Groundhog's Day is one of them? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that's pretty good. But there are other movies, too. And some of them have like a kind of a, a passing novelty. Like Grease, for instance, is on there. Hey, hey. That is a national treasure. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> let's see here. Unsurpri- hey, please tell me an Emperor's New Groove is in there. No, but Ghostbusters is. Ugh. Did you? I What? There's a movie called The Emperor Jones. That's no. on there from 1933. So, we should probably definitely watch that. <laughs> Maybe we should have made the podcast about that film registry. <laughs> there you go. I don't think we're going to run out of ideas and stuff, though. But, yeah. I think that it fits. There's a lot of great stuff on there. You know, if King Kong deserves it, why the hell not Groundhog Day? Oh, speaking of animals, <laughs> Punxsutawney Phil, <laughs> the cutest mascot of a movie I think I've ever seen that wasn't Gizmo. What do you think? I feel bad for the groundhog, like in real life. Oh, God. you When the sound that you made when the truck goes into the quarry, you didn't give a fuck that Bill Murray was no. in it. But I could tell that the fact that the idea of a groundhog being, just so you know, no groundhogs were harmed in making this film. It sounded like, like it hurt your soul to even think of it dying. It was sad. And then it exploded. But I mean, I guess everyone comes back, not just Bill. So I'm okay. Yeah, so... The groundhog did come back. A few right? times. Right. I yeah. No, just and it bit Bill Murray three times. <laughs> in real life. Yes. That, that, to me, makes up for it. He got his licks in. Don't worry. <laughs> but I feel like this whole, like, you know, it's a nice tradition, maybe for the people of that town, but I feel like it's, you know, it's a little sad for the groundhog that's being ripped out of its home and, and it's in the cold. You're talking to the prissy vegan guy. I'm like, yeah, for sure. I'm buying what you're selling. <laughs> Let's strip down the Judeo-Christian patriarchal thingamajig and leave that marmot where it came from. I really enjoy the word marmot, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure if I'm using it right. I'll be honest with you. I know a lot about Jurassic. I, I, I did a bunch of research on a giant frog today, the Beelzebuf, because it had a great name. But I don't know about animals that exist currently in this terrestrial United States. So tune in weekly for my gripping commentary. <laughs> what I don't know from my ass from my elbow. Both of which are animals, mind you. And one of them is extinct. I won't tell you which. Not your ass and your elbow are the animals. <laughs> no, my ass and my elbow are both animals. One of them is extinct. Catch up. I, I can't be more clear than that. <laughs> <laughs> my cheeks hurt. Good. See, I think you enjoyed me ranting about my love of this movie more than this movie. <laughs> yes, I think so. So in terms of what we can tease our audience with for future episodes, what are you? What excites you about this movie that you're looking forward to talking about in the future? I can't wait to talk about all the different skills that he achieved while in this endless loop. Oh, yeah. Like the fact that he becomes a pro ice sculptor. That's amazing. Way more impressive to me than piano. Yes. I don't understand why I would be so hung <laughs> up on it. 
And then considering all the things that I would try and accomplish in that time. Yeah. I seriously am concerned about how much I would masturbate in 80 (laughs) years of a time loop. You wouldn't be there, so I couldn't express my carnal love for you in real life. I'd have... Because you wouldn't be inhabiting Bill Murray? Why wouldn't I be there? No, because I would be Phil Connors. Phil Connors isn't married to a stunning bombshell redhead. I was just about to say I'd get carpal tunnel syndrome, but I wouldn't. So maybe I would just have fun. I'd be like, this is consequence free. I won't have sore nuts tomorrow. I feel like after 80 years, you would probably find a new hobby. (laughs) Oh, you're being serious. (laughs) That's the oldest hobby that I still have. I threw away my Sega Genesis, my Sega CD, but I still have my old joystick. Okay, that's great. From my childhood. That shows how different we are. See, I'm the Phil Connors. You're the Rita. You're like, that idea is revolting. And I'm sitting there like, let's talk about it and broadcast it to the internet. Also, if we can, further evidence that you would be Rita is the whole blue screen when she's wearing the sweater and she goes in front of the thing at the news station. That's that is something you would do. I would do that. It's so adorable. So, well, so what is it that you are looking forward to talking about? Because clearly my idea has now been shot to hell because I don't want to listen to you talk about masturbating for 80 years. I, well, I mean, I don't know. There's what I think the question becomes, what wouldn't I talk about? Because we could break down each and every single scene each and every time, you know, the morose and somber note when Bill Murray jumps off of the tower and, and the beautiful gliding as he goes and falls to the sidewalk and pavement below. Uh, There's so many elements. Uh, We could talk about the movies other people were in, like the one guy who's really annoying who wishes he stayed in the Navy. He was a limo driver in blank check. He gives you the kernel of knowledge that you should line your pockets at a buffet with Ziploc bags because it doesn't say all you can eat here. He says that to a child who he's trying to get to go on a date with a legal adult. That is not okay. We'll talk about that and more every (laughs) every episode no i think the things that i want to talk about i think one uh, i'd really like to do is a string and try and connect and make one movie out of each like plot like if you know if uh, if we were doing a mosaic take each screenshot and make the best scenario the best timeline and the worst timeline that you can do albeit resetting but you know like how do you get to the worst ending the sad which is the saddest ending which is the happiest ending which is the best case scenario which you know Obviously, not everybody can have the sheer glee of Michael Shannon getting WrestleMania tickets. (laughs) Is that okay? Is disappointment good for the soul? Do we have souls? Okay. That's a good point for this movie. That's true. Would God let this happen? What if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us, just a stranger on the bus trying to find his way to Punxsutawney? How do you know he's not? Maybe he's Phil (laughs) and not Phil Connors. Bill the Groundhog. What? Why not? Yeah. I mean, sure, in the Bible, it says that Adam was created in the likeness of God, and Adam didn't certainly look like a groundhog, but maybe he did look like a groundhog, and that's what came out of the primordial ooze, and it evolved into man. So we get both science and religion. We can fuse <laughs> them together on this show. This is going to be the template for the future. When the apocalypse happens, and the, the morbid hellscape is there, some extraterrestrial is going to find this podcast and they're going to use this to inform the recreated 
swill of humanity in clone form. Big things ahead on this show is what I'm saying. <laughs> so you can find us, like I said, I got you babe pod at Gmail, or you can find my other show, which is Slashers Podcast, which comes out every single Monday. I call it your new favorite podcast about your new favorite horror media. I have a bunch of goon buddies and we talk about everything. It's not just movie reviews. Sometimes we do reports and sometimes we do debates and sometimes we do whatever we want. And sometimes we do exactly what you want if you're a Patreon patron. So for now, if you want a shirt or any kind of merchandise for I Got You Babe, a Groundhog Day podcast, just go over to redbubble.com slash slashers pod. You can pick one up there. I think this is a good episode. I enjoyed it. My cheeks hurt, like I said, just from laughing at and enjoying. So I hope you all are enjoying as much as we are. Yeah. And if you do enjoy it, make sure to subscribe. Please subscribe. Click the little bell icon. Bling, 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 or leave us a review. Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Podbean, Podomatic, whatever you got. Go ahead and do that. And remember to listen to that first episode. It's a doozy. Did it work? You liked it?